0: I want you to notice with me Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I wanna give you a little background here. The night that Jesus was betrayed and arrested, while he was still in the upper room, he told his disciples in Matthew 26 and verse 32, but after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Then again, early, that first day of the week, Praise the Lord. The Bible says an angel descended from heaven and he rolled away the stone and sat on it. And when some women entered, attempted to enter that empty tomb, the angel spoke to them and told them in Matthew 28 and verse seven, tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee, there you will see him. So just a little background. Though Jesus did appear that same evening to his disciples in the upper room, later he met all of his disciples in Galilee. And probably, just in case you want to know, he probably appeared to them at Mount Tabor, which by the way, interestingly enough, is the same place where he was transfigured with Peter and James and John in Matthew chapter 17. And by the way, it seems most likely that this was also the place, the same incident that Paul describes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse six. He says there, then he, Jesus, appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. So that's probably talking about what happened on Mount Tabor. And there, at that place, Jesus said these words in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. So it wasn't just the 11 that he was speaking with. There were more than 500 believers present on the top of that mountain. So that means what he said in Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20 That commission is not for apostles, that's for believers. There were not 500 apostles, there are 500 disciples, believers, that's for everybody. Every disciple, every disciple should be a disciple maker. Just because you claim you are something, that doesn't mean you are, right? in this world in which we live, there are people who say, well, I identify with this, and they, they wanna change their gender. I identify with this, and they try to change even their ethnicity. But you know, you know, if you don't have the evidence of it, those are just, that's not a fact, that's a fallacy. So in the same way, we might say we are something, but if we don't have the evidence, if we don't have the, uh, the proof, then it's not convincing. If we are truly disciples, we will be disciple-makers. That's my point, right? We will be disciples. So notice he said again, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. A little technical thing here, a little technical study. Greek word for go, it's actually aorist, passive, deponent verb. I know you wanted to know that. But what it could be translated is this way. It could be translated as you are going, make disciples. The Wiest translation says, having gone on your way, make disciples. So one pastor in America, you know, for several months or weeks in a row, he preached, go, 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 win the loss. Go, go, go. And then everybody went. They all left. He, he chased them away. He had an empty church. They all went somewhere but see, the emphasis in Matthew 28, 19 is not on you going somewhere. The emphasis is on what you should do no matter where you are. So here's what you need to understand. Every Christian is a missionary. See, that's this is you might say, oh, that's just for like the missionaries. Well, okay, fine but you're a missionary because you have been commissioned. You have an assignment from heaven and you don't have to go to another country. You don't have to go to another continent. Wherever you go, you are a missionary, so that means your neighborhood is the mission field. Dimapur is your mission field. Kohima may be your mission field. Wherever you are, wherever God would send you, wherever you happen to be, you're a missionary, you're an ambassador for Christ, and that is the field that God has given you to work. Amen. The word nations, make disciples of all nations, is the Greek word ethnos. Ethnos. That's where we get the English word ethnic. It doesn't mean a country. Ethnos does not mean a country. It doesn't mean a a colored area on the map. This is Ukraine, this is Italy. That's not what the word ethnos means. It means an ethnic group. It means a tribe. It means a people group, a community, right? Praise the Lord. So again, wherever you go, make disciples with every tribe, every people, every community. No one is excluded. Amen. Now, it is a law of nature. We see this in the book of Genesis. It is a fact of life that each produces after its own kind. You cannot make someone into something that you are not. You cannot make someone into something that you yourself are not. If you are unsure of your salvation, you can never bring assurance to someone else, right? You cannot share with someone something that you don't have. You cannot take someone somewhere where you have not been. Only disciples can make disciples. Unconverted preachers will preach to unconverted congregations, right? So before we concern ourselves with the other person, let's concern ourselves with ourselves, right? Don't focus so much on doing, focus on being. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now, again, Matthew 28, 19, and 20, I, for, for a long, long time, whenever I read that verse of Scripture, I imagined, I thought, I assumed that as soon as Jesus said those words, he immediately ascended up into heaven. But that's not what happened. He said these words in Galilee. I just got through telling you, on the top of Mount Tabor. It's near the Sea of Tiberias, near the Galilean Sea, right? But Luke, in the book of Acts, tells me that Jesus continued to meet with his disciples for 40 days and talk to them about the kingdom of of God, and then on the Mount of Olives, which is about a half a mile from the center of Jerusalem. It's just basically across a ravine from the walls of Jerusalem. Luke calls it a Sabbath day's journey. It's about a half a mile. On that mount, he spoke to his disciples in Acts chapter one, verse eight. Acts one, eight, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Now, they're just outside the walls of Jerusalem when he says this. In Jerusalem, all Judea, of course, that's the province, the Roman province where they are, Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. These are the last words that Jesus spoke on earth, in the flesh, you understand. These are the very last words because Luke tells us then immediately after he said this, he was lifted up into heaven and he sat down at the Father's right hand. So that tells me that in the beginning when he was first raised from the dead in Galilee, he told them Matthew 28, verse 19 to 20. And then just before he ascended to the Father, He said, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he said two very similar things at the beginning, toward the beginning of his resurrection, and at the very end, and that is to say of his earthly appearance, 40 days. So let's take those two verses, and let's combine them together, and maybe we'll get a fuller picture of what he communicated that is to say, let's put a little bit of Matthew twenty eight nineteen together with Acts one eight. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And what I see in that is, we make disciples by being Holy Spirit empowered witnesses. We make disciples, and if you've been here, this is the eleventh uh, installment. You know, in this series. We've been talking about being a disciple, what that means. I would encourage you to go back and listen to all those lessons It will help you. Even if you were here, go back and listen to all those lessons. And a disciple is not just a convert. He's not someone who just follows the Christian religion, of course. He is a student of Christ. He's a a learned follower of the Lord. He's one who uh, is emulating and imitating Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. He has dedicated himself to become like Christ and the Spirit of God is training him to continue the ministry of Christ in the earth. You gotta go back and listen to all that. But we make disciples by being Holy Spirit empowered witnesses. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you. Some Pentecostals stop right there. I got the power. Power, woo, you know, and they to get happy, you know, woo, I got the power. Wait a minute, there's a reason why. You will receive power, woo. Wait a minute. When the Holy Spirit's come upon you, oh yes, hallelujah, wait a minute, and you will be my witnesses. Somehow that, that part of the verse got ta- got tapers off, you know, that, the volume decreases on that part of the verse, right? So by being Holy Spirit-enabled witnesses, Consider the word witness. In a courtroom, a witness can only testify about his own personal experience, what he himself has seen or heard. Hearsay, secondhand information, is inadmissible as evidence in a courtroom. So an effective witness for Christ on the witness stand of life, in the courtroom of the world, an effective witness does not merely promote and propagate a theory or a a theology. He says what is proven by his own experience. He's a witness. What did you see? What did you hear? What happened? Well, my mother told me, no, 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 your mother's not on the witness stand. Well, you know, my community believes, no, 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 we're talking about your community. You, you, your personal experience. If you don't have any personal experience, you cannot be a witness. Praise the Lord. You know, it's great to read about other men, and I'm gonna to refer to other men right in a moment. It's great to read about other men of God. It's great to study history. I, I think that's inspiring, it's helpful. Like I said, I'm gonna share with you something in just a moment, but you need to have your own story. You need to have your own story, your own testimony, your own personal experience. Praise the Lord. Amen. Okay, now let's go back to history. In 1735, that's way back. In 1735, John and Charles Wesley traveled to America, the American colonies at that time, to preach the gospel to the people in the U.S., what became the U.S. state of Georgia, the colonists, and as well as the, the Native Americans, what you would call the red Indians living there. And by his own admission, in other words, this is what Charles Wesley said, i rather what John Wesley said, I should say, by his own admission, he failed miserably. Complete flat failure. Wesley, who was a prolific writer, he kept a journal, you know, you can read his writings, Wesley wrote in his journal, I went to America to convert the Indians, but oh, who shall convert me? (laughs) That's pretty bad when you're giving the altar call and when people respond, you say, now that you've come, I need you to lay hands and pray for me, because I'm I'm not sure I'm saved. (laughs) In fact, um, that was his main problem. Wesley was not sure if he was saved. And he was confused about how one is saved. Well, if you're confused, stay home. Don't get on a boat and go somewhere. Stay home. Get rid of the confusion. Get the light of God's word. Because if you're confused, you're just going to go around spreading the confusion. There's already enough confused people in this world without confused Christians helping them. (laughs) Amen? So Wesley returned to England dejected. And it felt like it was a complete waste of time, total failure. But on the voyage, traveled by ship, on the voyage, uh, the ship encountered a fierce storm. And Wesley feared for his life. But he noticed a group of Moravians, people from the the part of the uh, world called Moravia, you know, in Asia. He noticed some Moravians on board who seemed to be composed and unperturbed by all these events, by the raging tempest. And they shared with him that salvation is because of God's grace received by our faith. And even though Wesley was a scholar, He was an Oxford-trained theologian and the son of a pastor himself. Because of what he witnessed in the lives of these folks, especially under duress, I mean, he lost his cool and they seemed to have peace, what they said to him really struck a chord in him. Back in London, Wesley happened to attend a little, I guess you'd call it a Bible study, And someone there was reading from Martin Luther's commentary on the book of Romans. And he came to the part where Luther's explaining, Romans 1, 17, the just shall live by faith. And those words just struck him like a bullet. And John Wesley, in his own words, said, my heart was strangely warmed. In my opinion, that is when John Wesley got born again. I'm sure he, he had a lot of churchianity, but he didn't have Christ, right? That's when he got born again. And with that, with that revelation burning in his heart, he began to preach. And we don't have time to tell the whole story, but uh, he was preaching in his father's church telling them we're saved by faith because of God's grace. And they didn't like it. If you preach somewhere and people don't like it, don't feel bad. It happened to Jesus in Nazareth. It'll happen to you somewhere too. So they didn't like it, and they rose up and thrust him out of their church. And, uh, but his father, who was the pastor, was buried in the church compound. So Wesley climbed up on the tombstone of his father, because he felt like this is my father's property, and continued his sermon outdoors. <laughs> Which was unheard of, totally unheard of in the Church of England. Somebody would do that, you know. And Wesley said to his amazement, he found out that God will meet you outside as well as inside. He began preaching outdoors outdoors. In fact, he got on a horse, and I don't have time to tell the whole story. He traveled on the back of a horse all over England preaching, sometimes many times in a single day. He brought revival from horseback. Why? Because when he tried it, he didn't. the first time in America, he didn't have any personal experience. He had a theory. But after he got saved, he had a testimony. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. And that's exactly what the writers of the New Testament say to us in 1 John chapter one, verse one. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. What, in other words, John the Apostle is saying we are telling you what we experienced. I remember years ago, I worked with a man uh, in America in one business, and he was your basic sinner, you know, he don't believe anything, and he, he makes fun of Christianity, or you know, if you talk about the Lord, he just shuts you down. And so he, you know, he, he, he doesn't believe the Bible's God's word. No, no, I don't believe the Bible's God's word. And I said to him, if you won't accept the Bible as God's word, would you accept it as the word of man? And he said, well, I guess so. And I said, all right, these men who wrote the New Testament, they personally experienced Jesus of Nazareth. They were eyewitnesses of his crucifixion and his resurrection, his miracles, his life. And they're telling you this is what we experienced. Would you accept their testimony? He said, Whoa. I never thought about it that way. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Peter says this in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 16, "For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty." Ooh. These people didn't just, you know, have a thought They didn't just get a teaching. They didn't just, you know, read something somewhere. They had experience. And they were sent forth to share. This is what we saw. This is what we experienced. Now you do the same thing. Well, I, I, wait a minute. I, I wasn't there when Jesus was nailed to the tree. I wasn't there when the stone was rolled away. But you were there when he came in your heart. You were there when he gave you eternal life. You were there when he set you free. You were there when he filled you with the Holy Spirit. You were there when he gave you new hope. You were there. Come on, I'm preaching better than you're amening. That's for sure right now. You were there. So you have a story. And you don't have to have the most dramatic story. And don't embellish your story. Don't stretch the truth. Your story is good. Your testimony is good. Somebody needs to hear your story. Hallelujah. You don't need to write a book. Just open your mouth. (laughs) Amen. Praise the Lord. The Greek word translated witness in Acts 1-8 is the word martis. It's where we get the English word martyr. Oh no, you'll be my martyr? No, no, wait a minute. However, the word martyrs in Greek does not mean one who dies for his faith. That's actually not what the word means. It, it's come to mean the English word martyr comes to mean that, but martyrs does not mean one who dies for his faith. It means one who demonstrates his faith in life. he demonstrates his faith in life you see sometimes you see certain christians maybe they're feeling you know emotional or maybe for, you know their heart is touched or something and they say lord i'm willing to die for you i'm ready to die for christ dying is easy living for christ that's the trick god wants you to be a living sacrifice not a dead one He don't need no dead sacrifice. He needs a living sacrifice. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So what that means is your life is the message. The Apostle Paul said we are a book known and read by all men. You are an open book. Your life is the message. St. Francis of Assisi said this. All the friars, he's talking about the Roman Catholic... Priests, all the friars should preach by their deeds. All the friars—I don't mean like fried chicken friars, the Roman Catholic priests. All, all. Let me clarify. All the friars should preach by their deeds. See, in other words, words mean nothing if our actions do not agree. Hmm. Many people have rejected the gospel message because of the poor example set by the messenger. Now, critics and skeptics are looking for a reason not to believe. Critics, skeptics, they're looking for a reason not to believe, so don't give them one. Don't give them one by the way you live. Hallelujah. Rabindranath Tagore said this, Jesus is ideal and wonderful, but you Christians, you are not like him. You would have thought he'd visited Nagaland, I don't know. That's a, that's a, that's a very serious indictment. That's bad when people say, I like what you preach, but I don't like the way you live. Hmm? Well, Tagore didn't become a Christian, can you imagine that? Hmm? So we tend to think that Acts 1-8 means, you know, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. We tend to think that that means the Holy Spirit will give us boldness, fearlessness to declare the word. And no doubt that's true. But perhaps Jesus also means something else. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witness. Maybe he also will give us power to live the word. Ooh. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. People, this is, this is not a condemning message. This is just hopefully encouraging or you know, sharpening, admonishing. <laughs> it's a smile, you know. Iron sharpens iron, right? So, a little, sp- some sparks are gonna fly. <laughs> huh? People in the world are watching us. You belong to Spirit of Faith Church, you're a marked woman, you're a marked man. No need, no need hiding the fact. Your neighbors already think you're a fanatic. It's too late to salvage your reputation. <laughs> huh? They're watching you. They do not see what you claim to believe. They see how you actually live. So like St. Francis said, preach by your deeds. Preach by your deeds. So being a witness for Christ is a lot harder than just going witnessing. Being a witness for Christ is a lot more difficult than just witnessing. While participating in evangelistic outreach is good, And we would hope that many would would want to be involved with that. While participating in an evangelistic outreach is commendable, living an exemplary life is so much better. You don't even have to have spectacular miracles to impress the lost. You could just be honest in a dishonest world. Come on, it's getting real quiet in here. Why? We've got a bunch of dishonest people here? Come on. <laughs> Amen. Come on, sometimes, especially folks in our circles, we think that it requires you know, healing people of cancer and, and casting out demons. Well, that's great, and that has its place, and I'm all in favor of that, but if you can't tell the difference between right and wrong, maybe you're the one who needs deliverance, not that guy. <laughs> oh, it's real quiet here today. Praise the Lord. Amen. Come on, don't 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 tell the world, you know, how spiritual you are while you're milking public funds to build your house and buy your cars. You wanna you wanna you wanna be noticed in Nagaland for Christ? Just be honest. Just be honest. People would think something wrong with you for sure. I remember years ago, there was an election. Oh, that dreaded word. There was an election. (laughs) <laughs> during the election we can really see the sheep versus the goats there was an election and some people were campaigning and they visited the home of one of our members and they tried to buy that person's vote and then they said oh wait a minute you go to that spirit of faith church don't you oh no chance sorry sorry for bothering you Woo! what a marvelous testimony oh that blesses me that's a great testimony I think it's great what's happened did you sell your vote is that why you're so quiet (laughs) you're scaring me (laughs) Just, just live an honest life hallelujah think about this verse 1 Peter 3, 1, it's talking about wives who have unsaved husbands. It says, even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. Oh, we could preach three sermons right now, but I'd get in so much trouble, I don't know if I could ever, you know, undo it. It just won't do for wives to come and tell every church member, pray for my husband, he's a devil. Pray for my husband, he's a Judas, he's a Hitler. Pray for my husband, a de- you all come to my house and get the devil out of my husband. Listen, before you cast the devil out of your husband, make sure you don't live like the devil. <laughs> talk about him and talk about everybody else in the church. Huh? Oh, it's real quiet now. Shall we go back to the election? <laughs> They can be one without a word by the lifestyle of the wives. Come on, some women get filled with the Holy Ghost speaking tongues and now suddenly they got an attitude. <laughs> I ain't fixing your breakfast. I'm a Holy Ghost woman. I'm a prophetess. <laughs> oh, Lord, have mercy. <laughs> now it's real quiet. Let's look straight ahead. Praise the Lord. I think, I think that Living for Christ, being a disciple of Christ makes you a better woman, makes you a better wife, makes you a better man, makes you a better husband. It should be, it should be. The husband should say, I don't know what happened to you, but whatever it is, just keep doing it. Yeah, keep going to that prayer meeting on Saturday. Keep going on Wednesday. I don't know what it is they're doing down there, but I like it. (laughs) Come on, I know there's some bashful husbands who would agree with me. Come on. Amen? So if a husband can be one without a word, just by the lifestyle of a wife, couldn't a colleague in your office be one? Couldn't a classmate in your school be one? Couldn't a relative, couldn't a sibling be one? Couldn't a neighbor be one by the way you live? They're watching. They don't necessarily say anything, but they're definitely watching us. It is not a lack of information that keeps many people from being saved. It's a lack of credibility. Obviously, there's a lot of folks in this world and they just don't know anything and they need to know it, and that's true. But on the other hand, there are people and they basically kind of know, yeah, you know, Jesus died and rose again, and I need to receive, and they kind of know that. that the, it's not a lack of information. It's a lack of credibility. Hmm? It's the, the, the messenger is not convincing. They don't believe in him because they don't believe in us. Oh, I could say something. I don't want to say it, but I could tell you that there's a lot of people that come from other parts, like Nepal or, or other parts of India, when they first come to Nagaland, they're, they're open to Christianity, but after they've lived here a year or two, they're no longer open. But I'm not going to say that because I don't want to hurt your feelings. I could say that, but I'm not going to say that. There's the old Chinese proverb. Don't look it up in the Bible. It's just an old Chinese proverb. What you are, what you are speaks so loud. I can't hear what you're saying. Be a witness. Be a witness. I think we have all been embarrassed by Christians who were not a good witness. And if you haven't, you're probably the one that's embarrassing everybody else. (laughs) We've all probably been embarrassed by someone who wasn't a good example of a Christian. Kenneth Copeland says that years ago he was in some shop uh, buying something, waiting in the queue to pay the cashier. And the person in front of him was arguing with the cashier that he deserved a preacher's discount. And he was buying a bunch of beer. (laughs) And he's arguing, I should get a preacher's discount. You Give me 10% off. You need to tithe, you know, or something. I don't know what he's saying. And he was just giving the fellow a a hard time. I don't know of any shops that have a 10% discount off a beer for preachers. I hope there are none. (laughs) Certainly not here. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they are here. I don't know. (laughs) So finally, the, the fellow went on his way, and it was Kenneth Copeland's turn. And the cashier, his face is just flush. And, you know, he's still frustrated. And he just sort of shook his head and said, I'm telling you, some of these preachers just make me so angry. And Kenneth Copeland just nodded. Oh, yeah, yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't bother to say that he was a preacher. <laughs> We've all been embarrassed. We've all been embarrassed by people who misused the name of Christ. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. So be a witness. Living as a witness for Christ is actually good for us. Witnessing is good. That's really good. And people can't be saved if we don't share the truth with them. That's right. I'm not not undoing that. But being a witness is not only good for others, it's good for us. In other words, everybody in your colony knows you're a Christian. So before you knock your sister's head off, you remember, wait a minute, I've witnessed all these people, they know I'm a Christian. I better take my hands away from her throat right now. <laughs> I better stop squeezing, <laughs> right? It, it, it forces us to be more careful in our walk. Right? To be more disciplined and more diligent, more serious about the way we live our life because we know it could affect other people. Right? could affect other people. There's gonna be a whole lot of people that go to hell because they don't receive Christ. That's a fact. I don't want anybody going to hell because of me. I don't want anybody thrown in a lake of fire and they call my name as they go down into the fire. It's all because of John Ralden, And all the angels say, who's John Rowden? And I say, I don't know. <laughs> and then they say, you're next, buddy. Oh, no, no, I'm John Rowden. <laughs> right? Hmm? Being a witness, being a witness, though more difficult, is actually more beneficial for us because it forces us to, to walk the straight and narrow, to, to, live, to live for the Lord, right? And that's why some people, some believers, go wild on vacation because nobody there knows you, right? We can just we can just go crazy. I mean, just do all because nobody here knows us. But you know, the thing is, whether you think it's fair or not, you are the only Bible some people will ever read. So as you're just living kind of foolishly or doing things that are not right. Somebody's gonna notice. Hey, I thought I saw a cross around your neck. Oh, that's just jewelry. (laughs) Or you bump into somebody that you know. Hmm, praise the Lord. What is it they say? Oh, I'm gonna get in trouble for saying this. You're gonna have to forgive me in advance, okay? Promise me you'll forgive me in advance. I'm just trying to help you. What is it they say? They say that Jews do not recognize Christ as Messiah. Hmm. And that Protestants don't recognize the Pope as the head of the church, right? And Baptists don't recognize each other in the liquor store. <laughs> but I, uh, if someone else said that. I'm. I just. You forgive me for that. <laughs> Amen. That's pretty bad bump into somebody. Oh, praise. Um, Alish, um, Jabba, um. <laughs> you are the only Bible some people ever read. What are some things that we can do to make us a more effective witness for the Lord? I think if we were honest, everybody here would have to admit, myself included, that we have some blind spots. Some areas that doesn't seem like a big deal to us, but actually it is something that, that can be a big deal to somebody else. It, it could hinder somebody else. It could make us less effective. So what are some things that we may not even be aware of, but could actually be diminishing the effectiveness of our witness for Christ? Here's just three things, just real quickly, and we'll have to go in a moment here. Number one, don't be judgmental don't be judgmental Christians typically are quick to point out the faults of others everybody has faults including the fault finder it's one thing to recognize another person has a fault it's another thing to point it out and even another thing to revel in others faults oh you did wrong (laughs) that's that's not that's not the right attitude right Christians have a reputation of being intolerant and hypercritical. But we should remember that the Lord Jesus said the same standard we use to judge others will be the same standard they use to judge us. Matthew 7, 2. So don't criticize others for the same thing that you do. And it's easy to do. I can't believe they did that. Well, you did that, right? No, I didn't. Yes, you did, right? So be careful. Be careful, amen? Sometimes we're like we, not we, the people that normally stand in a balcony. (laughs) Sometimes we're super strict when it comes to evaluating other people. One little thing, ah, did you notice that? Oh, yeah, I noticed that. But we're super lenient when it comes to ourselves. Oh well, I didn't mean to, I couldn't help it. Pray for me. No, 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 that's that's not right. That's not right. Amen. And we should remember that we cannot expect sinners to live like saints. They can't. I mean, you know, their nature is all wrong. And, and and where were you before Christ? Without the grace of God, there goes you. You would be in the same boat, the same situation. Right? The Apostle Paul clearly and boldly declared that he was a new creation in Christ, but he also didn't forget where he came from. He said, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. I thought old things passed away. They did, but it's because of the grace of God. And I don't forget that. The message is not, look at me. I'm something special. The the message is look at Jesus. He's wonderful and he can do in your life wonderful things. That's the message. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. Jesus said in John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you can quote the Bible in Greek. (laughs) It says if you have love for one another. It is unconditional love that proves to others that we truly belong to Christ. So be kind to people. Not because you hope to quote, pray the prayer with them and add another notch to your evangelism belt. Don't be like the salesman who's only interested in potential customers. I walk through the mall, like, you know, in a bigger city like Calcutta or something, Delhi, the airport in Delhi, I can't, you, you can't walk through the mall and there's hundreds of people just standing there saying, hello, sir, try this perfume, sir. Hello, 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 hello. Hey, hey. would you like a watch? It's so friendly, so friendly. You know, all, I have so many friends here in Delhi. I didn't know I was so popular. <laughs> they're not your friends. They're trying to sell you something, Right? If you, you could take all day looking at all the watches and the perfumes and the shoes and whatever it is, and then say, actually, I don't have any money, and you'll find out how friendly they are. <laughs> right? Don't be like that. One time I was in a, a Christian bookstore in America, and this fellow comes up and stands next to me, how are you doing? Oh, fine, like that. and He strikes up a conversation. Oh, I, I'm new here in this city. You know, I don't really know anybody, and... I'm hoping to make friends, like, okay, fine. And and um, and you know, maybe you can help me. I'm also trying to learn the Bible. Oh, yeah, fine. You know, and then he says, you know, can I get your phone number? And I'm like, okay, so I gave him my phone number. This is years ago. And uh so then, like the next day or something, he calls me. Come to find out he wants to recruit me for part of his multi-level marketing business. Okay. If he has a multi-level marketing business, that's fine. I mean, some of you are involved in things like that, and that's fine, but what I don't appreciate is when you pretend like you're interested in being my friend, but that's all fake. I'd rather you just come up and say, hey, I'm part of a multi-level business thing, and would you be interested? And I could say yes or no, but I don't like that. And so I think people in the world don't appreciate it when you act like you're interested in them, but you're just trying to pray the prayer so you can click a photo and post it on Facebook. By the way, you don't have to click everybody's photo. Here I am giving a banana to a beggar. You don't, you don't have to do, <laughs> you don't have to click everybody's photo. You know that? <laughs> Jesus said, don't do your works before men to be seen by them. It's okay to give a guy a banana and nobody knows about it, just you and the Lord. That's fine, that's, that's fine. <laughs> Amen. Praise the Lord. Be kind to people because Christ commanded it and he poured his love into our hearts to share with others. Number two, real quickly now. Don't be unadaptable and inflexible. Number one was don't be judgmental. Hypercritical of everybody, you know. Number two, don't be unadaptable and inflexible. You might consider this passage of scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 20 to 22. I'll read it quickly. 1 Corinthians nine twenty to 22. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. Verse 22, to the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. That's what I mean by being adaptable, being a little flexible. We don't have to compromise, and we should not compromise. I'm not suggesting that in any way. But we can try to find common ground with people. Some people are just contentious in general. Did you, do you know that? If you say it's hot, they'll say it's not that hot today. If you say it, it's, it's not that hot, they'll say, man, it's just like Hades out there. If you say you know, up, they'll say down. you say big, they'll say... Whatever it is, they're just contrary. They're, they're contrary people. Try to, try to find some, some common ground with people. Right? When Paul was in Athens he noticed the city was full of idols. He could have denounced those people as degenerates. Look at your filthy abominations. But instead, in Acts chapter 17, verse 22, he said, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. That kind of sounds like a compliment. I know Paul does not believe in idol worship. There's no way on earth he believes in that. But he was trying to at least find something common ground with them. Something that I could say about them good. So what he was saying was, was, well, I can see that you all must really have a hunger for God. And that is a good thing, isn't it? Right? So he tried to find common ground. I'm not telling you to start doing pujas. I'm telling you to find common ground with people so that you can win them for Christ. Amen? That's what I'm saying. So if I meet someone you know, and they say, well, I am Catholic, I'm a Roman Catholic, then I don't jump on them and say, that's a false church, and the Pope is the Antichrist. That's not trying to find common ground with people, right? I could say, I could say, oh, well, that, that must mean that you have a great reverence for God then. That's a great thing. I wish more people had that, and they would say, I, I, you're right yeah you're right I could even I could even say you know it reminds me of what St Augustine said now what catholic would not want to hear what St Augustine says what St Augustine said our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you O Lord that's what he said that's true he was a good christian by the way very good christian so you know I'm finding common ground with this person I was invited Uh, 1989 to speak to a group of men in Calcutta. And when I walked in the door, they glared at me. And I told them, it is often said that Christianity is a Western religion. But where was Jesus born? In New York? Paris, London? No, in Bethlehem. In a part of the world that we today call the Middle East. In fact, all of the writers of the Bible were from that part of the world. None of them were Westerners. They were all Easterners. In fact, the culture of the Bible is Eastern culture. Furthermore, I said, how often is the word America or England mentioned in the Bible? Not once, but how often is the word India mentioned in the Bible? Twice, both in the book of Esther, which also doesn't have the name of God in it, but that's another story, book of Esther. So I told them God must love India twice as much as he loves America. They were weeping. They're ready to make me prime minister. I mean, they were, they were. (laughs) (laughs) Why? I'm finding common ground with them. I'm finding something that we can agree on. And that's all true. I'm not making that up. That's actually true. That's finding common ground. All right, last point. Don't be inconsistent. It may take a while for some people to be convinced of the truth of Christ especially if they've had a bad experience with some Christian or so-called Christian or whatever. There are some people, and you know them, if you don't know them, you're gonna meet them one day on a train or a plane or a bus or whatever, you know, and, and when you mention Jesus, they get irrationally angry. Something starts manifesting, I don't know. You know they get really angry. And sometimes it's because they've had a very bad experience with somebody. And you don't always know why. I'm afraid that sometimes the church itself has been its worst enemy. The church in general, you see. They've mistreated people. I'm not, I'm not talking about anybody's particular church today, but I'm just saying throughout history, sometimes the church has been its own worst enemy. Mistreated people. In some cases, sexually abused people, like little children. And oh, you know, all kinds of things like that. And so there's a lot of people who have been hurt. So it may take a while. They've met fake Christians all their life, perhaps. And, and now they're going to meet a real Christian. But they're not just going to be, oh, finally, I've met one. Oh, glory, this is wonderful. No, no, they're going to be very skeptical at first. It'll take time. It'll take time. that's why you need to be patient and you need to be consistent. I mean consistently good. Amen. Young people especially. You have parents, siblings, and they might, they might be thinking to themselves, this is just a phase he's going through. Oh yeah, 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 you know, when they're teenagers, when they're maybe early 20s, you know, they're kind of like all excited about something, and you know, but you know, eventually they'll cool off and calm down and you know, just be like everybody else. So you need to be patient and you need to be consistent. And that means like you don't change everything you believe Every other month. <laughs> right? That you, you still believe the Bible, still believe God's word, still, still have faith in the Lord Jesus, still believe, you know? And, and, and they need to see, and still walking in love. It takes time. So you, you sometimes have to wear that down. All of that hard, rough exterior has to be worn down, and it takes a long time. Amen? None of us is Perfect. We all have shortcomings, your speaker especially. People sometimes can overlook a defect if we are genuinely sincere. And that's something that must be proven, genuinely sincere. But people will, in the world especially will quickly turn away if they believe we're a hypocrite. You know, Jesus called the Pharisees hypocrites, right? The Greek word for hypocrite means actor. So we're not putting on a play or something like that, you know? It's not a movie, okay? Christian, scene one, action. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Oh, hello, brother. Do you know what? Cut, cut. You said your line wrong. Oh. No, no, no. it's, it's, It's genuine. We're not, nothing phony. Don't pretend you know everything when we know you don't. Don't pretend you don't have any problems when we know you have them. (laughs) Be authentic, be real, amen? Be serious about this life with him, this life of Christ. And you're not perfect, but by God's grace, you're being perfected. And with his help, you're narrowing the gap Between what you know and what you practice. So that means to be an effective witness, one thing is to keep on growing. Just keep on growing. It's a wonderful thing when people say to you, You know, I've watched you and I've seen you just get better and better, stronger and stronger. And they say, You know, I, I don't know, I don't necessarily agree with everything that you believe, but I'm telling you, I. You've got something, and I appreciate that. Ooh, that's a marvelous testimony. That's a wonderful thing. Why? Because that means through the influence of God's grace in your life, hearts are being softened and more receptive. And be a wonderful thing. It is a wonderful thing when you share the gospel with someone, and they do know someone who's been a good witness, and they're saying, I'm, I'm ready to receive. Why? I've seen the real thing. I've seen believers, and, and that, has, that has touched me. Amen? All right, that's enough for today. Why don't you stand up with me? Praise the Lord.